0: Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston.
1: Welcome to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmeen Amr. This past weekend marked 20 years since the deadly mass shooting at Columbine High School. And ever since that day, we've had countless debates on how to prevent gun violence. Do we have fewer guns or more guns? What about more background checks? Should we pay attention to violent video games or toxic masculinity? Or should we focus on mental health?
0: Yeah, Andrea, unfortunately, I don't have the answer to that. And as a country, collectively, we don't have an answer to that 20 years later. We're still talking about it and we're still debating about it all the time. But I spoke to one person who's thought about this issue a lot. And it's from a slightly different perspective. I want you to hear his story. February 2018, Aaron Stark was watching the news with his wife and teenage daughter.:
2: It began as an ordinary school day. The gunman
1: appears to have pulled the school's fire alarm.:
0: Tonight as authorities come through the school looking for answers, 17 people are dead and many wounded. And we have new A gunman, gunman had walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida and killed 17 people. That's when Aaron found himself having the same conversation with his family that so many of us were having with ours.
2: My my wife and my daughter had been talking right after the shooting about how how could someone get to that point, and how could it ever get to the point where someone would commit such an atrocity.
0: His 17-year-old daughter, Katie, was having an especially hard time trying to answer that question. Aaron, a 39-year-old father of four, tried to explain. After all, he understood more than most people how something like this could happen. Aaron grew up in Denver, where he still lives. He likens his childhood to an eerie Stephen King novel. His father was physically abusive towards him, his brother, and especially his mother.
2: He was a Vietnam vet, and evidently it changed him when he came back. And I never knew him beforehand. I only knew the after effect. But the dad I knew was a monster.
0: Aaron says he remembers the frequent nights he had to spend in domestic violence shelters in the first five years of his life. His mother eventually remarried, but things didn't get better.
2: Then we went from moving, living in a Stephen King novel to getting with my stepdad and moving to like a Scarface movie with lots of crack cocaine and theft.
0: Aaron says he was repeatedly woken up in the middle of the night to escape to a different home. The family was constantly fleeing authorities or shady characters.
2: Every school I went to, it seemed like another set of bullies. And I was a fat kid, I was smelly, I was socially inept, I was a big comic book fan back in times when comic books were not, not only not cool but were actively damaging to your coolness.
0: His love for comic books did help him make a close friend, Mike Stacy. He's now a 36-year-old web developer who also lives in Denver.
3: He and I can sit down and literally just talk forever. And so that's how we became friends, and that's why we have stayed friends.
0: They bonded with another friend named Amber Schneider. When you feel accepted by a group of people, it's they become your tribe. Outside of that tribe, Aaron's world was still chaotic. By the time he was a young teen, he was constantly getting into physical and verbal fights with his family members.
2: There'd be violence and fighting every night. When you get told you're worthless all the time and you get told that you're nothing, you're going to believe it.
0: Aaron dropped out of high school his sophomore year. His parents ignored his cries for help. And when he tried to reach out to social services, he couldn't find relief there either.
2: I decided that I was going to scream out and people were going to hear me. I was going to make them listen now.
0: Desperate, Aaron asked a drug dealer he knew to help him get a gun.
2: I had planned on either shooting my school... Or shooting a mall food court. And it wasn't directed at the people themselves. If it was directed at anybody, it would be directed at my parents. But it wasn't to—I wouldn't have attacked them. It would have been so they could see what monster they created.
0: But before Aaron got his hands on a gun, he had his usual plans to hang out with his friend Mike.
2: He didn't know what I was planning at all. He knew that I was in a lot of pain. And he sat me down that night and just gave me a meal— told me, hey, let's just watch a movie. You can just relax and chill out. You can sleep in a nice, warm place for a while.
0: He ended up spending the next five days with Mike and never got that gun.
2: And honestly, the most transformative thing was being treated like a person when I didn't even feel like I was a human. That changed my whole world.
0: Still, that wasn't the last time Aaron had disturbing thoughts. It was coming up on his birthday. He got his hands on several prescription pills, and was planning on overdosing that night. Again, his friends had no idea, but Amber Schneider had heard that Aaron was in a dark place. So she called him and invited him to a small get-together.
2: It was a surprise party for my birthday. I broke down like a baby, and I was totally not expecting it. It just blew me away. And... Instead of going home and committing suicide, I sat in a house with people that loved me, having one of the best nights I've ever had in my life.
0: Both Amber and Mike say that whatever they did for Aaron never felt profound. It just felt like the right thing to do. But when Aaron wrote a piece for The Washington Post 20 years later... Telling the story of how those simple acts of friendship helped him get through the most difficult moments of his life, they finally understood. I remember my breath kind of catching in the back of my throat, you know, like hearing he was thinking of taking his life. And, whoa, you just pause for a moment and think, wow, that event could have very well not happened. What then? After the Post article, thousands of people have reached out to Aaron to share their own stories— He tries to respond to all of them because he wants to show the same kindness his own friends showed him.
2: We might be able to actually make some real change and make some real impact and try to stop pushing away the outcasts and try to give love to the people that we think deserve it the least because they need it the most.
0: And that can start with a small act of kindness because you never really know how life-changing it can be for someone who really needs it. We'll have more after the break.
1: The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean
2: energy transition.
1: But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost.
2: Mining is But the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day.
1: I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me On Point for Elements of Energy. Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahi. And I'm Yasmin Ammer. Yasmin, I've been thinking so much about how important it is to have that support system, whether it's family or friends, people in the community. We all struggle with something or have struggled with something in our lives. It's just a part of being human and we need help getting through those challenges.
0: Yeah, Andrea. And honestly, sometimes we can even find that support system from total strangers. I mean, there are so many support groups online. Aaron Stark, who we just heard a story about, has started his own Facebook group. And they share their stories and support one another. And it really helps to read other people's experiences to just know that you're not alone. I think that so many of us are just Inclined to give support when we see someone struggling with the same things that we did.
1: Yeah, and that's the perfect segue into this story that I saw from one of my favorite writers, Nicole Cliff, on Twitter. And it was this great thread that had people sharing these beautiful stories of kindness. And this one went viral. So in 2002, Joe Faust was the manager of a little independent LGBTQ bookstore in Indianapolis called Outward Bound. Great name. Oh, is that
0: W-O-R-D?
1: Yes. Oh, that is just very clever. It's just love a play on words. So Joe was working one evening, and the store's phone rings. And he picks it up, and on the other end is a very upset young man.
3: He called to say that he felt like he was probably gay and that this was a difficult feeling for him and that he wasn't sure what to do about it and if it was even right. And, and um, he was really agitated about it too. And there was a real sense that he might have been intent on hurting himself if, uh, if he couldn't come to terms with this this experience he was having.
0: That seems like such a terrifying phone call to get because you're just thrust into this situation where you feel like you
1: have to do or say the right thing immediately. Right, right. So Joe is talking to this guy and he's telling him about his life and how he came out and his life since coming out. But he's also kind of trying to figure out what to say because he's a manager at a bookstore. This is not a crisis center. He's just at work. And Joe tells me that the bookstore is pretty small. It was about the size of a, like a good size living room. And so the few customers that are there are clearly hearing what's going on. And then this happened.
3: This one woman, this this beautiful woman came to the counter, and I thought that she was going to ask a question or need help finding something. And I tried to give her this look that said... I can't help you right now. I'm doing this other thing. And she put her hand on my shoulder and her other hand out, and she asked for the phone, and she said,
0: let me have a turn. Oh, let me have a turn. What did she mean by that?
1: So she actually took the phone from Joe, and she starts talking to this man about her life. And her coming out story and how she has this wonderful partner and how her life has changed for the better since she came out. And then she starts handing the phone to the other customers in the store and they start telling their stories of coming out and living um, their lives as people who are out. And so, so she
0: just sets this amazing domino effect.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and Joe says there weren't, like, a ton of people in the store or anything, but there were, like, enough people there that they could give, like, a nice swath of the coming out experience and telling this young man, you know, what life is like as a queer person.
0: So Joe is watching all of this just unfold before his eyes, completely unexpected. What does he think when he reflects back on that night?
1: Well, when he, te- he says he tells the story quite often now, and when he thinks about it, he says it's kind of this moment that showed him so much about how powerful and important the LGBTQ community is.
3: That experience, and I think just the experience of working in that bookstore generally, really colored my perception of the gay and lesbian community. And, and I have taken that with me the whole rest of my life because I just I know that we are capable of really amazing things together.
1: And then he mentioned this part when he thinks back on that day, on that night, that really struck me, which is that he thinks about this group and how it helped this man. But he also thinks about the kindness that was done for him by this woman who stepped up. And he says that she really affected him for life.
3: I think I would like to tell her that her evening of kindness became a philosophy that I carried for 20 years after.
0: I really have to ask you, did Joe ever see any of these people ever again?
1: So Joe says that he probably did see some of them because he was still working at this bookstore, but he didn't really keep in touch with anyone. They didn't, you know, exchange numbers or they didn't talk about it again. And he didn't speak to the man on the phone either, but he hopes that that phone call helped him through this tough moment and that he went on to have a wonderful fulfilling life.
3: I would like to think that after that bad night that he picked himself up and that he had lots of other people to talk to and friends and and family and people that supported him and, and that this kind night I would hope would just be lost in a sea of other kind nights and he wouldn't even remember.
1: Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikis does our sound design, Gabby Murzowski is our intern, and Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe.
0: And I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Ammer. If you have a story of kindness that you want to tell us, email us at kindworldwbur.org at or find us on social media. We're at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at WBURKindWorld.